0: Hi, welcome back to For the Love of Astrophysics. This is your host, Aditya Sundar, and today we're going to step away from the birth of the universe and start talking about something different. The birth and death of stars. Unlike the birth of the universe, which is a purely theoretical topic, the birth and death of stars has been recorded, studied, and even analyzed. Therefore, we're quite sure about how stars are born and how they die. This isn't something we can just cover in one episode and do justice to it. So we'll split this topic into three to four episodes, talking about a variety of subtopics, ranging from the timeline and life cycle of a star to black holes and supernova. Let's start off with the timeline and life cycle of a star. We're going to dive really deep into this topic. So let's start off right at the surface. What exactly is a star? A star is a luminous ball of gas made mostly of hydrogen and helium, held together by its own gravity. Stars are formed in what's known as a solar nebula. Remember we talked about this in the last episode, basically it's a cloud of interstellar gas and dust particles. We'll discuss this topic in further detail in the next episode. The main thing to know about the life cycle of a star is that the bigger it is, the shorter it will live for, meaning that a smaller star would live longer than a larger star. But why is that? Remember in the first episode, I said that you should never accept anything as you are told without proof. Keep on asking those questions, however silly you may think they sound. So why exactly does the life of a star depend on its mass? It's not the same case with humans, or any other living being that we're familiar with, for that matter, right? But then again, actual biological life is governed by very different principles. I mean, we get our energy from the food we eat, from the air we breathe. But the sun doesn't really eat anything. It just converts hydrogen to helium and produces the energy it needs to power itself. So let's get back to the question at hand. We know that stars are powered by the fusion of hydrogen. When this fusion stops occurring, when all the hydrogen has been exhausted and converted into helium, the star dies. Let's take an example. Imagine there's a small star. It does have a certain amount of hydrogen, but since it's small, it would only produce less energy compared to a larger star, as it has less content of hydrogen. In addition to this, Remember what I said in the last episode that the fusion of hydrogen gets jump-started by the huge pressure? In other words, we can say that if there's more pressure in a star, the hydrogen would get used up quicker. If there's more pressure, the hydrogen particles would collide with each other more often, which is what chemical reactions are all about anyways. We can measure the rate by which the reaction takes place depending on how often the particles collide with each other. In this case, Hydrogen particles are just colliding to form helium particles. So the more often the collisions occur, the more hydrogen will get used up to make helium. And the larger a star is, the larger its pressure buildup at its core would be. So because there are more particles to make up the star, there would be much more pressure at its core. Because of this, the hydrogen gets used up faster and faster than it would in a smaller star. So that's why the size of a star, I guess you could say, is inversely proportional to its life expectancy. Let's get into the actual life cycle of a star. Now, the life cycle of a star begins, as I said before, with the solar nebula. We'll discuss the process of how exactly a Sun is born in the very next episode. So, once the particles start to club together to form the star's core, the star reaches its first stage of its existence in the universe. The protostar stage. Remember that cloud of interstellar gas and dust particles, the solar nebula? Just imagine that cloud, except this time there's a big bright ball at its center. That's exactly what a protostar looks like. A star stays in this protostar stage for quite some time. Anywhere from 100,000 years to 10 million years, depending on its mass. It stays in this stage until it has enough temperature and pressure to start the fusion of hydrogen. So it needs to heat up to about a temperature above 13 million Kelvin. A protostar keeps on growing and growing until it reaches this temperature. When a protostar reaches this temperature of about 13 million Kelvin, it joins what is known as the main sequence and becomes a main sequence star. A main sequence star is nothing but a regular living star that survives because of the fusion of hydrogen. Our very sun is a main sequence star. The main sequence star is a fork in the road, in the life cycle of a star, meaning that after this point in its life, it could go two ways. A star's life expectancy, as I said before, depends on its mass. In fact, the mass doesn't just determine the life expectancy of the star, but also how it will die. Depending on the mass of a main sequence star, it could go one of two ways. Just before we get into this, I would just like to brief you about a term that astrophysicists use when discussing the mass of a star. Solar masses. Solar mass is actually a term used to measure the mass of a star. We measure this based on our own understanding of our own sun, so one solar mass is exactly the mass of our sun, two solar masses is twice the size of our sun, and so on so forth. We'll be using this term quite a lot in this episode, and even in the following ones. so it's important that you remember what it is. So as I was saying before, a main sequence star could go two ways depending on its mass. If the mass is less than 10 solar masses, meaning 10 times the mass of our sun, it will become a red giant. But if the sun is more than 10 solar masses, it will become a red supergiant. There is a huge difference between these two, and each outcome has very different endings. So we'll talk about these two one by one. A red giant is a phase in the star's life, in which the star starts to expand and grow in size. This stage is reached only when the hydrogen in main sequence stars has been exhausted, right? And all the hydrogen has been turned into helium. So once this stage starts, the star begins to expand and grow bigger, while at the same time becoming redder in color, hence the name red giant. In fact, it's actually believed that in about 7 billion years, our own sun will become a red giant and bring about the end of the solar system. Anyways. As the red giant grows in size, it reaches a stage where it cannot expand anymore, right? Nothing can expand forever. Now, this can be anywhere from 100,000 kilometers to 1 billion kilometers in diameter. Now, when the stage is reached, the outer layers of the red giant just burst off, forming what's known as a planetary nebula. Basically, what happens is these layers expand outwards into space, forming like a bubble-like shape. Now... That's what a planetary nebula is. It's basically just dust and gas particles flown over in like a bubble-like shape. Now, these are only the outer layers, but the innermost layers, the core of the star, will be extremely hot and will remain as a white dwarf. A white dwarf is nothing but the remnant of a star's core, which does not emit that much light and heat, but it does exist and remains in space. After tens or hundreds of billions of years, the White Dwarf will lose all of its remaining fuel and eventually become what's known as a Black Dwarf. The universe is way too young for this to happen, so there aren't any Black Dwarfs yet, but we know that a star would eventually become one. A Black Dwarf does not and cannot emit any light or heat of its own, and this marks the complete death of a star. The other thing that can happen is that the star becomes a red supergiant. Now when this happens, the star becomes much larger than a usual red giant, hence the name supergiant. When a star becomes a red supergiant, it explodes violently in the form of a supernova. A supernova is a huge, violent explosion that is incredibly bright and can shine brighter than a whole galaxy full of stars. A supernova occurs when the core of a star holds too much mass, far too much for it to control. When a star grows up to the size of a red supergiant, most of the mass falls into its core, and since the core can't handle that much mass, it explodes violently in the form of a supernova. Once the supernova has occurred, again, one of two things can happen based on the mass of the remnant. Basically, even after the supernova, there is still the core of the star left, which is a remnant of the star that we refer to as the white dwarf. Now the white dwarf can either become a black hole or can end up as a neutron star. Let's talk about the black hole alternative first. Now there's something known as the Chandrasekhar constant. The Chandrasekhar constant marks the limit of a white dwarf. If the white dwarf happens to be larger than this constant, it will collapse into a black hole. However, if it's smaller, it will become a neutron star. We'll talk more in detail about black holes in one of the following episodes. In fact, we'll also dedicate a full episode to supernovae and novae. Now to understand this, let's take an example. Let's say that there's a white dwarf that happens to have a mass of half a solar mass. So this means it would be half the size of our sun, which for a core of a star is pretty big. Now this white dwarf will still start to accumulate mass and as it does, it'll start to grow in size. Once this core reaches a size of 1.4 solar masses, which is the Chandrasekhar constant, it will collapse into a black hole. However, if the core does not reach this size, it will turn into a neutron star. A neutron star is nothing but basically the core starts to collapse on itself. When this occurs, all the protons get crushed, and most of them get turned into neutrons. And all that's left are a bunch of neutrons, very few protons and very few electrons, which is why it's called a neutron star. The thing about a neutron star is that it's about 20 kilometers in diameter, but it's 1.4 solar masses in mass. You know what this means? It means that if you get a teaspoon of this neutron star here on Earth, It would weigh about a billion tons. You can sort of see a tree or a chart forming here. Let me just form a picture for you. Imagine a mind map, right? Imagine the life of a star starting from a solar nebula. Now, there's an arrow coming out of it leading to a protostar, which is the second stage in the star's life. Again, an arrow coming out of the protostar leading to a main sequence star. It's pretty clear up till now, but this is where there's a fork in the road. Imagine two arrows coming out of the main sequence star. One of them is really huge, symbolizing the size of the main sequence star. So this huge arrow symbolizing the huge main sequence star leads to the red supergiant, while the other arrow, which happens to be very small, leads to a red giant. The red giant leads to a planetary nebula, which leads to a white dwarf, which leads to a black dwarf. However, the other alternative, which is the red supergiant, leads to a supernova, a huge explosion that takes place when a core of a star is overloaded with mass. Again, there's a fork in the road with two arrows coming out of the supernova, one being huge and one being small. The small arrow leads to a neutron star. The big arrow leads to a black hole. In case you're a bit confused about this, don't worry. It is a really confusing topic, but we'll be talking a lot about this in the death of stars episode, in the black holes episode, and even in the nova and supernova episode. See you next time on For the Love of Astrophysics.